Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 43. We're talking Interstellar. I'm Ali Matu, joined as always by the wonderful space operatic AJ Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? Great. Hello, everyone. So, Conrad, we're talking Interstellar. What's in the crossover today? In the crossover, we are pitting Contact against Interstellar. I know it was inevitable. Um, <laughs> it had to happen. It had to happen. <laughs> um, and our question for today is which film... Has a better Matthew McConaughey. Well, that too. Um, but is a more interesting exploration of the unknown. And then Ooh. and then top five, we're probably going to be covering or recovering some ground because clearly we love uh, space epics and space operas, <laughs> both. Um, but it's going to be our, our top five space epics, um, however we are terming that. This is probably going to be one of my favorite episodes that we're doing because I love this genre and I I love sci-fi when it gets bold and epic and explores uh, outer space. No, me too. Absolutely. And, you know, this was one of your movies that you were really looking forward to seeing. Um, yeah. This was in your sort of list of things to look forward to. I think it might have been my number one most yep. looking forward to of the fall. Um, and I saw, you know, you know, I kind of had, I tried to stay away from any kind of spoilers. And, you know, I saw a couple of the trailers. First trailer I was totally blown away by. Second trailer I was a little bit worried. <laughs> so <laughs> I went into this with some trepidation. And um, I will tell you that, like, just before Bill and I were supposed to go to see this in the theater, um, we were at the diner having breakfast, and this group of guys next to us started talking about how they had just seen this d- the day oh, before. Oh no! And Bill what is did like, and Bill is like, "Watch out!" Because I had like come, I didn't realize what they were talking about, and then suddenly I heard every like I I was hearing them, and I was like trying to like cover my ears. I like just was talking to Bill about absolute nonsense um, just because they were being so loud about it. And I mean, they were really excited, which I thought was great, but I was just like, no, of all the diners, <laughs> like, why, why? Um, but that said, they seemed, they seemed to be really, um, you know, excited to be talking to each other about it, which is, I guess, you know, one of the reasons why we love these films. So, uh, well, and one of the reasons why we hate spoilers. That too. Uh, <laughs> I think I've shared this story before about how the last Harry Potter book was almost spoiled to me when I was a volunteer in this group therapy session. And my volunteer role was to be like a silent observer that takes notes. Oh, no. And so I I couldn't say anything. And and this guy was on the verge of spoiling the book because it hadn't been released but a spoiler review. And uh, illicit spoiler review was published in the newspaper. And he was about to release it, but then my supervisor said, I think we're getting off topic here, and let's return focus to this. And I asked her off afterwards, were you just doing that? Because I didn't want to get spoilers. Yes, that's why I did it. Um, so spoilers, they are a, uh, a hazard. They're a nuisance. Uh, so so that that brings me to, to this piece, which I'm going to just say to everybody listening to this, if you have not seen Interstellar, 
do not, do not, do not listen to our podcast until you go pause this, go watch Interstellar and come back because we will be spoiling the heck out of it. So yeah, this is absolutely. your your big, bright spoiler alert sign. <laughs> if you want a non-spoiler review, um, uh, my friends Aaron and Abe were kind enough to uh, have me on their podcast this week, Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, we did a really in-depth non-spoiler review, which did at times lead us to say, oh, you know, them and they, for those of you who've seen the movie. So we talked around a lot of things like that. Um, check out that if you're interested in non-spoiler review. However, here on Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, we will be spoiling this. We are not going to talk around anything. We're going to get into the meat of this. Um, so with that, Conrad, I think that's spoiler enough of a warning. Yes, it is. It is. All so. right. So, okay. Um, okay. Well, let's start with this. I think this is an important question to find out is how did you see this film? Because it's out in 35 millimeter film. It's out in 35 millimeter digital. It is out in 70 millimeter IMAX film, 70 millimeter IMAX digital and other large format formats. So how did uh, this film, how did you consume it? Well, we ended up not going to see it in IMAX because I just couldn't part with the $50 that would allow us to do that. Um, so, uh, we ended up going to see it. Um, we saw it in digital as a 4k projection and, you know, I have to say, I don't, if this is what is out there, I'm a little bit worried. Maybe we saw a bad copy of it. Um, but this was, it, it looked a little less sharp than I was hoping it would look. So, mm. um, but that said, I think it, it's a beautiful film. So I don't think it really took away from it. And it was still an awe-inspiring, the, the visuals of this were incredible. Did, did you have any audio problems on yours? No I've audio, been hearing reports about that. No audio problems on our end of things. Um, did you have any problems understanding the characters? No, no Banes, no Bane issues. <laughs> um <laughs> However, I will I will say, and I laughed because I saw your tweet about your bladder during this film. Oh yeah, and I yeah. like I knew it was a lawn film, so I prepped for that. But like halfway through the film, I was like, oh my god, like I can't leave this film to go and use the restroom, and I might like I it was just ridiculous. So it's a three hour lawn film. Yeah, uh, I think my I, I said my bladder aged ten years during the, the yeah the hours like and you stuff. you can't leave because you're gonna miss something so it's yeah. like so so brave brave watchers of films <laughs> if you go to see <laughs> Interstellar prepare wisely and do not drink all of that Coca Cola. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw it in a uh, seventy millimeter IMAX projection here at Lincoln Square and. Um, it, that was big and beautiful and bold. Um, I do have to say that there were less full aspect ratio scenes than I remember in The Dark Knight Rises. Now, maybe that's because Dark Knight Rises is a little bit shorter of a film than Interstellar. So it's just sort of a, kind of a time comparison issue. But one of those things about the IMAX cameras is they're so large and big and heavy and they make a lot of noise. So a lot of directors can't use it during dialogue heavy scenes. So they're usually used in scenes that are kind of um, 
um, setting the stage of where things are and action heavy scene where you can do dubbing over than that over that but i was uh, i was a little disappointed with the amount of the full aspect ratio shots and there was that changing of the aspect ratio between the 35 right. millimeter and 70 which doesn't bug me too much but um I was a little bummed there wasn't as many IMAX scenes. That being said, the ones that were in IMAX were gorgeous, gorgeous, especially some of those shots of um, outer space. Just oh, yeah. uh, stunning. Yeah, I I think that there were some beautiful, beautiful shots. Uh, the cinematography, I think, was was generally, uh, especially with those those space shots, were incredible. And I think um, the Mary Sue covered it nicely when they said um, in their review, Interstellar is the reason movie theaters exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to get into our feelings about this film and and our take on it and the messages and, and all of that. But I think just as a movie-going experience, it was uh, remarkable. Um, it was big. It was bold. The cinematography, as you're saying, was, was beautiful. Um, the sound was great. I think Hans Zimmer actually delivered a surprisingly more subtle score than he's known right. for. Um, so but but just that, that said, I will, I will say, um, though, with the film, I, I noticed a lot of spots where things were a little bit soft and muddy, where the focus wasn't as sharp as you wanted it to be. Um, yeah, especially when it cha- I noticed that too in 70 when it changed from 70 to 35, the 30 some of the 35 stuff didn't seem terrible, as sharp. Looked terrible. Yeah, and what? and I have What's to say on? like Mr. Nolan, I I I get what what your feelings are about film and I do agree that there is a quality to film that is very different. However, that to me in this in a film of this caliber is unacceptable. This was very strange, Conrad, because um, uh, Nolan is very known for being um, a a big tech geek when it comes to film. Um, He loves film. He thinks it's we're losing something aesthetic to the move to digital or not the move to digital to the move to digital 15 years ago. Right. Um, (laughs) Except for him, apparently. (laughs) Except for him. (laughs) Quinn Tarantino, there's a few others. But one of the things he was doing, uh, this is nicely chronicled in the New York Times this past week, he was visiting individual theaters um, who were going to be showing the film early and contingent upon that, if you're going to show the film early, you had to show it in film. And he was going across movie theaters in New York and LA, um, theaters who hadn't shown film um, hadn't shown a film in film in in years and projectionists who had never worked on projecting in film and he was visiting these theaters he was here in New York at the Bowtie uh, Theater um, checking it making sure that it was up to par but I think something was missed here because there were a lot of those close-up scenes right I'm like mm, is it just me no Did I take it was my out of focus because yeah it was, yeah, it was Odd, very so, odd. Yeah. It could be. It could be. These are projectionists who are inexperienced. I don't think so. I don't a, think so. I don't well, think. That, that's I a think, sad thing, then. Uh, it is. But uh, anyway, so that was one thing I noticed. However, it is a beautiful film. So even even that aside, I think what bothered me so much about those moments when you saw them was that oh my gosh, really. Like, you have this gorgeous film, what are you doing? You know, so there's a little bit of a disappointment there. But overall, beautiful, um, I think. And, yeah, so so are you ready to take a dive in? (laughs) 
I'm a little bit nervous about what you're going to say, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the dive. I've spoken to many people about it, and as always, I'm most excited to hear your take. Conrad, what did you think of Interstellar? Um, as I said, I went in with a little bit of trepidation, and overall, I felt like this film was a total journey. Um, and in some, and it felt very big and the things that they were trying to do with it were very big. Um, I did notice while watching that there were just some, there were some things that definitely bothered me. There are some, there are some plot holes. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, sugarcoat that. Um, but that said, it is a fun ride and I, I, I left the movie feeling positively, but I also left the movie feeling like, I, I felt like this wasn't quite as successful as some of the things that happened in Inception, although I mm. do feel like it was trying to do some similar things or, you know, kind of kind of mess with your your ideas of time and reality um, and relationships for that matter. Um, and I and I appreciated that effort. And I feel like that was such a, a huge thing to do. And this was an enormous undertaking. So. Overall, I felt positive, but I do feel like there were some some pretty big holes in this that I was sort of like, I, I was a little bit surprised that they were left there, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you and I might end up feeling about the same way about this film for different reasons, probably. Um, initial impression, I thought uh, from a sensory experience, uh, this film um, hit a lot of the same notes that I want a massive space epic to do or to hit. Um, it had a lot of the visual grandeur that I, I need. And um, th- this, I want to walk out to some of these films feeling like the way I feel when I hear the uh, pale blue dot. You know, I want to feel... Yeah humanity's insignificance in the face of the interstellar but you also want to feel you want to feel the wonder absolutely i want to feel yeah you want to feel like that shiver down your spine because it was so epic you know like and there was moments i felt that when i saw when i saw their craft move towards saturn and this was the new nasa sort of uh nasa based uh uh, imagery of saturn it was Mm -hmm. inspired by what we know these planets look like now as opposed to something like 2001 a space odyssey where they were trying to figure out what does earth look look like from space and they didn't know they didn't know what the earth looked like from the moon they were kind of making it up as it went along now we have all this data about all, all this stuff and I did feel like Interstellar was rooted in data and science and I when I saw Saturn I got that chill when they started talking about the real impacts of relativity and how that plays out with interstellar travel I got shivers down my my spine um, there's moments where I got that so I had the awe I had the wonder um, then we combine that with what feels like three or four different stories or different narratives. Um, and my problem with this film is I don't feel like those narratives are well linked together. Yeah, I agree. Um, And when those transitions happen, I think maybe that's where a lot of the plot holes that you're talking about come up. Um, that's my big problem with this film is I think it's 
You know, Dark Knight Rises was another film that was taking on a lot, and I don't think it linked up as well. I still enjoyed the heck out of it. I love that film, and I, I did enjoy Interstellar, but I walked out of this one feeling like this is probably Nolan's most epic and also, um, in some ways, most flawed film. Mm, yet, yeah. uh, yet, I kind of like it. I don't. <laughs> this it's is very thing, complicated. It is complicated, and and you know, a, a very good friend of ours from the show, Derek, um, was asking me about this, and I said, "Look, I would recommend that people go and see this, um, and I think that it's going to appeal to a wider audience than Birdman did." Um, yeah. And it is beautiful, and just for the visuals, I think it's worth seeing in that theater. Um, and it's not something I would wait to see on a small screen. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that there are parts of the story that hit notes and and people can relate to that I think make it worth going. And it makes you talk about it and think about it. And even some of the plot holes make you talk about it. So even though it is flawed, I still didn't leave. I didn't leave with a negative feeling. Yeah. Um, and yeah. maybe because it poses some of those questions and it does, it, it keeps you talking about it. it. Maybe that is part of its success. But I do, I was a little bit surprised at, at where it did fall short. Um, and I mean, I have to say, and, and this is, I, I know you're going to like call me a half a hater for saying this. Um, <laughs> but I do feel, and it was, but I know that was a term. But I, And I don't think it necessarily has to, I I mean, I do think her acting was not on par with, with, you know, um, although Matthew McConaughey, I mean, he cries, he cries, he he does a good job at showing some emotion. Um, But like, I just feel like her character, the way, the way the script is written and she kind of has to, I mean, not kind of, she has to follow it. So I think some of the flaws were more with what the script was and how the character is written. And I have to say, like... This is an interesting thing to me. I feel like Nolan has a hard time um, with female characters. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, um, and and but hers specifically in this was what, the one that was just bothering me the most. And it was, so it wasn't necessarily. I mean, yeah, her portrayal was pretty flat to me. But I, I feel like some of the things that she was asked to do were also kind of unfair. <laughs> so so I, I don't I don't. I'm not going to call you a, a, a half a hater here because I think your um, your criticisms here are sound, and I think the the main criticism comes down to the script and the lines, the dialogue, and the strength of the character. And I and think the this story. character is weak. Yeah, you know, I, I think Hathaway did do a nice job. Anne Hathaway in um, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. I liked her portrayal of Catwoman. Oh, I did. I, but, and we can save that for another podcast, but I do, I, I, I think she did a nice job there. And I think she is a good actress. I really like her and Rachel getting married. Um, I think she's been in some good films and she's been in some pretty bad ones too. Um, the problem here was, uh, the, the dialogue was pretty bad for, for Hathaway. Um, I did like the relationship, um, at least Early on, I liked the relationship between uh, the father and daughter characters in this in this film, and um, I do think that Matthew McConaughey did a nice job there, as well as Mackenzie Foy, uh, the the actress who plays young Murph. Um, I liked them early on, but I think once. Uh, 
uh, once Cooper leaves Earth, that relationship really just doesn't hold mm. up that much. And I get that she's angry and upset, but we don't really get to see much of an arc for for her. Well, that's at least a, that, until later this is on. the thing that I and this is one of the things. So, so for for you know, it, people have seen this movie. So the whole the whole the summary of this is that the Earth is dying. You've got Matthew McConaughey playing this um, engineer slash pilot. Um, slash farmer slash farmer um and you know he finds this nasa facility with the help of his daughter um in a somewhat supernaturally feeling way um and and then he is asked to, to undertake this mission to save the earth um to find a new place for for humans to live and if that's not possible um to get and and while they're away um, plan Michael, B. Plan B. Michael Caine's character, uh, Doctor uh, Brand, correct? Yes. Yep. Um, Professor. Professor Brand. Um, he he's working on a formula to make this possible, and while his daughter is going to, who's played by Anne Hathaway, is going to accompany Matthew McConaughey and a couple of other people. So, him him leaving. He he's got this relationship with his daughter and. It's an interesting relationship. It's it's a very um, she is the heir apparent. She's the way she's the person that thinks like him clearly. And, and there's there's aspects to it that start out, and you're like, wow, this is what a great family to see a father who's a scientist and engineer, and a daughter who is craving that, loving it, and is destined to grow up and become another scientist. Right. It um, starts off great, but it's interesting because it's also an interesting. I feel like some of Nolan. <laughs> I don't know. There's like a lot of weird stuff because because um, there you know so. They're in a society where the earth is dying. So the focus is on feeding the people that are left on the planet. They don't explain why this is happening. I wish there was a little bit more of an explanation on that point. Although there, there's pardon, a lot that's kind of alluded to. But there's I understand. No- but I also understand, like, maybe you don't want to get into that because then it's just over explaining it. So you just sure. kind of have to accept that. And otherwise, you're going to get into all the reasons why they can't stay on Earth. Though Conrad um, over explaining and ex- exposition dumps didn't seem to be a concern of Nolan's. No, apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not. Um, the the scene where they discover NASA, which what? Yeah, they, like there's a secret NASA facility hidden in upstate New York, and um, like the way to discover that was so silly and ridiculous. Oh, and it's then ridiculous! The, and yeah, I know, the I know. Massive exposition dump that happens there is just so. But yeah. sorry, I was interrupting. No, you. no, not at all. I mean, so there's. <laughs> It's this weird it's this weird world where they're basically saying they don't want people to focus on science because they were they want them to focus on food. However, to me it seems a little bit insane for them to be talking about this because that they say that there's no place for engineers or for scientists in this world because wouldn't you think that it would have to be the engineers and the scientists that are going to figure out yeah, a, a yeah, way to overcome some of the things that have been happening to the planet. That's um, where I thought Nolan was evoking some 
interesting ideas about propaganda right. and uh, revisionist history to fit political needs and this whole idea that NASA faked the Apollo missions to crush the Soviets. I thought that was interesting stuff, but it wasn't fleshed out. No. Um, and it, it does, because it isn't fleshed out, it doesn't hold up when you start to think about it logically. Right. Um, but that said, uh, I think the vision that he showed of this world that had basically, it, it looks like it's becoming a dust bowl. Um, yeah. And so the the visuals with the dust storms, like you're seeing a planet that's dying. I thought that was very effective. Um, but you know, and I and you're right. I loved the relationship between um, Cooper, Matthew McConaughey's character, and Murph, um, his little girl. Um, but their relationship was so strong, and I mean, they show a little bit between him and his son. Um, but their relationship is so strong that um, when he does eventually take on this mission to save the world and save his children and um, in his head, because clearly for him, there is really only a plan A. Mm-hmm. Um, it really I paused because there's this whole scene where he's saying goodbye to his daughter. She's very upset because she's worried he's not going to come back as any kid would be because um, he's going off into the great unknown. Um, and there is no guarantee that he'll come back. And he he leaves the house pretty quickly without really giving... I mean, she's a kid and she's upset. So she does what any kid would do is hide her head under the blankets. And he just kind of like leaves her there. And I feel like if they had this tight of relationship, like I think any parent would know that the kid is going to take a minute to maybe gather their thoughts or whatever and yep. and then you're not going to you're not going to to say goodbye to your kid like that. I just don't yep. buy it. Do you buy it? Cuz it felt no, really I didn't buy it. it felt really forced to me and kind of like I this is so this is this doesn't feel like re- right to me. This doesn't feel true to me. That's where um I think you I you and I are on the same page here because you're you're talking about how this is a plot hole and for me this was the link between the earth and the space storyline at least the first part of that space storyline and that whole link none of it really works for me because not only does he leave in such an abrupt way which is so inconsistent with what we have been shown about these two characters. I mean, this was the girl who st- who hid, hid away in on the car. T- hid in the car. And he was not angry about it. He was just like, no. oh, you're going to come along with me and we're going on an adventure even though you did something wrong. Like, I just and don't, I don't buy it. I don't um, buy it. And I also don't buy, you know, what I mentioned before about the NASA base being there. And also, NASA would never launch a vehicle from New York. There's a reason why we launch vehicles from Florida. Yep. It's closer to the equator. It's yep. easier to get out. And you'd think fuel would be kind of an issue at this uh-huh. point in the future. Anyways, um, the fact that they go from that to, um, hey, we need you to, all right, here's your crew to launching, that's also not the way NASA would do something like this, especially when it's probably their most significant mission they are launching. Well, and the not crew- to mention that this guy has been, Cooper has been, based on what I can tell, has has been out of commission for almost a decade. 
So he's not going to get any like training <laughs> leading no. up to this. Like seriously, they're not going. NASA is way too deliberate, um, way too deliberate, and you have to be. And it's absolutely vital that they be as deliberate as they are and as careful as they are. Even if if it was their last chance, you know, especially because yeah, it's their last but- chance. Because it's like even look at what just happened with that um, the unmanned rocket that exploded. A couple yeah. of weeks ago, um, yeah, and then what happened with the the Virgin with Virgin Galactic? Galactic um, clearly, you have to be very deliberate and careful to like an annoying level, um, yeah, or you're and- not going to make it out there. So it's just like okay, but but you have to let these go. I guess with this film, that's just what you have well, to do. I think it's a, it's a it's a theme that's problematic about this film, and I think something that we're seeing here with Christopher Nolan, and we got to say he is one of my top three working directors right now. Um, one of the things I love about Christopher Nolan as a director is his dedication to the technical aspects. He's very geeky when it comes to that. He constructs beautiful set pieces. I think he is really interested in a lot of big psychological ideas. I think he likes to challenge himself. And he mentioned here he wanted to make a film that he could watch with his family and he wanted to create a film that's grounded in family. So I think he does continue to challenge himself. But I think one of the problems we're seeing here is something that was similar to what happened with George Lucas. If you look at the original trilogy versus the prequels, the original trilogy is a, a vastly collaborative effort, mm-hmm. one in which different people are involved in the writing, the, produ- the production, the direction, all of that. Empire Strikes Back, I mean, he was not the director of this. He he contributed to it. He's a big part of it. It's his vision in many ways, but it was a collaborative effort. Moving well, to the think, prequels, yeah, there no, was less, and it he was had all far him. more control. And this is yeah. what you and I talked about a little bit in terms of collaboration and the fact that I think you sometimes need to have another voice or even several voices reining you in a little bit. Absolutely. Um, and ma- helping, when it comes to film. When it comes to film, I think that that is somewhat vital. There are some directors that can get away with it. I don't think that Christopher Nolan is one of them. And I really love him too, by the way. I think he i think he pushes limits i think he takes great risks in his filmmaking um and in his storytelling and he puts out concepts that do make you sit up and think about them and um and do give a sense of wonder and awe which i think is missing from a lot of movies m- movies and movie making these days yeah. um and so I think we need directors and, and writers like him. But in this case, I, I feel like it not, as I said before, I think that this was like a huge undertaking and it was so big and felt like many different stories. Um, but I think to be able to tie everything together in a solid way, you you can't um, you can't go off the rails with your audience like he does in that scene with, with Matthew McConaughey and Murph. Like you can't yeah. you can't do things that the audience having built up like the relationship between these characters or the storyline, you can't you can't do that. You can't push that that envelope too much, especially if that's the anchor that you have throughout the storyline. And and that is the best that's a great way to phrase it because everything that comes later is contingent on that relationship. And at you know, okay, so we're going to buy that um, this is where it 
ends the relationship on Earth, the terrestrial relationship with them. And um, there's a later scene. There, there are many scenes here that are evocative or that evoke um, 2001: A Space Odyssey. And Nolan has said publicly he is he is trying to capture some of the awe that he had as a child seeing 2001 a space odyssey and star wars in with interstellar and th- there's a lot here the references that there's the the robots that look very like much like the monolith they're inspiring that there's the final sequence which to me is is one of the most uh is a direct descendant of the jupiter and the infinite beyond mm-hmm. sort of sequence from 2001 a space odyssey but um one of the ones that's a, a very clear moment from 2001 A Space Odyssey is those video messages that Matthew McConaughey's yeah. character gets. And which, he gets mess Which are amazingly touching. And, yeah, and, you, you know, I got incredibly teary-eyed um, during that and, moment. And so there, I mean, because that's the thing. There are moments that hit you so hard with what this character is going through. And so, I, you know, so the the... Anchor aside, um, they're, the whole idea that they basically have a limited amount of time that they're sp- that they're they're only allowed or only have time to check two possibly three possibilities for Earth two um, for the second Earth for Earth two. That's what I'm going to call it. Um, <laughs> you know, similar to my my horrible '90s television show that I, I love have referenced. That show. Oh, I loved it too. Please, but I wish it was still on. Conrad, um, I rewatched it. It's bad. It's I know bad. it's not it's as good. Ho- it's really bad. <laughs> um, but you don't. You know, they talk about it in theory before they get out there. But I think that you only feel the impact of what they're doing in that first scene when he gets the videos of. Um, of like you know so so they the first planet that they stop on is um so close um to the black hole that time is different um so basically every minute that they spend on the planet is equal to um what is it like every how many minutes Ollie did oh, you I forget I forget the exact it's something like 5 something like minutes is an- an hour is going to be like a decade on right. Earth or something like that. Something and, like that, yeah. And things go wrong, and they're on that planet. Um, and when they return to the ship, um, I think is it uh, Romilly? Um, yeah. He he says twenty seven years have passed. Twenty three, uh, I think. Something like that. Now, now that's where the gravity—no pun intended—the gravity of uh, this scenario really sinks in, and that's when you see the videos. And so here again. In that scene, it so um, epitomizes my issues with this film. On the one hand, never has a film dramatized um, Einstein's theory of relativity in such a beautiful way as Interstellar does right there with those videos. And it's it's incredibly hard-hitting. And you're you're like, oh, I mean, you can feel how heart-wrenching it would be. Um, There's also like like the weirdness not just for them coming back and realizing you know that the the robot confirms that yes indeed it's been 23 years that has passed um but they have their shipmate who's been there waiting for them the fact that he's still there is pretty incredible well and and that's Um, where i because i think uh, you know he says that he slept here and there which maybe broke up the time a little bit but you've got to think that at some point he was going to give up hope about the fact that they're coming back 
Um, Absolutely. And, and well, and you know, what would you have done? I, I'm, I'm. It's sort of strange to me that he didn't um, sleep more than he did. Um, uh, this, that's exactly the thing, Conrad. It, it doesn't really. So number one, he doesn't look like he's aged as no, much. No, he's he just, doesn't. He, he's just. He's got gray, a couple gray. grays. He's got some he's gray got hair. A, he's got some grays, right? Uh, I mean, like in five years, I have gained a mass amount of gray hair, um, and that's in a very short amount of time. In twenty, I, I don't know 20, what you're talking about, Ollie. Don't you add that in in post? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was, you know, someone someone asked me the other day. They're like, "Oh, that that profile pic of you, like, um, you're you're building that up in post production, right?" And I'm like, "No, I'm not." You're like, "That's all natural." Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like j- people change dramatically yeah. in the course. Of well, decades. they do, they do, and you know what? I don't think he's gonna be as chill as he was. Um, Eggs, maybe, that's maybe, a thing. maybe maybe he was a little shell shocked and numb, and that's what we were seeing. But I feel like dude would have been space crazy. That, absolutely, that was not psychologically it didn't ring true, and then physically it didn't ring true to me. So you start out that I, scene. You know what? With I, that. I was actually thinking he was going the way he was there when they opened the door I actually thought he was going to they were going to have him attack them or something um, because his reactions were so weird and I was just like okay there's just no well, way they, Nolan saved that for Matt Damon a little bit later well, which, he did I'm which sure. I also have <laughs> which, issues with by the way yeah we'll, we'll get into that um, so that scene starts out that way which left me puzzled and then we have the videos which really work. That that emotional beat just really sinks in. Um, and then especially when Jessica Chastain appears and says, I'm the same age as you, that really hits a note. Um, but then wrapped up in all of that is also the, the, the faulty science a bit. So mm-hmm. again, they do relativity well, but the idea that we could somehow send signals one way through the wormhole right. to the ship, but not back. That doesn't make any no, sense. No, it doesn't. And, and I'm I'm willing to there. You know, there's a lot of articles about the science here and what they got right and what they got wrong. And I think actually uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson did a review of this over Twitter. As, uh, did as you see he it? Does <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised at how in overall he was kind of actually pretty positive about the film. Um, it seemed like he was. He's he liked the visuals. He liked that relativity was in here. He liked that there was um, some gender diversity in the scientists, but he also had some issues with some of the specifics of how yeah. things were done. But so um, you know, I, I'm re- please go read about the science. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But what's more important to me in a science fiction film is the ideas, yeah. and I think that the scientific ideas here are really interesting, and I think those ideas do make people want to go research more about relativity specifics yeah we got to we got to change some of that for for dramatization okay. that's well, fine now can we talk about a piece of the film that is probably one of my least favorite pieces of the film Matt Damon well no that but also the whole scene there's the bookshelf? A, no no Wait, actually I kinda, this well, is the scene on. where i was very upset <laughs> with with Christopher Nolan and what he made Anne Hathaway do um, oh, love. Love is the yeah. only thing that, tra- that travels yes. in four dimensions. Because you I- know what? <laughs> These people are scientists. She is a scientist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she has not, she just has not dedicated her whole life. And, you know, that's the other thing. You have this relationship between 
Matthew McConaughey and his daughter, I don't really feel that there's any depth to the relationship between Anne Hathaway's character and her father. I don't feel it. Um, no. And no. so, and and if you are the only chance that the Earth has, if you are the only chance of rescue or of propagating the species that the Earth has, you are not going to be dictated by the, like... You're not going to throw out your scientific principles and say, we're going to go to this planet because I feel that love is the only way to get there. That Conrad, love that is guiding really me. Bugged me. It upset me. I actually, I think it, I made a noise and Bill like, <laughs> Bill kind of like hit me. He's like, shh. And I was just like, <laughs> no, I was so frustrated with this scene because I thought you, there's so many problems I have with this scene. One is yeah. that it wouldn't be her. He's making ridiculous emotional thing, like emotional decisions as well. But he's the pilot. I expected a little bit more from him, quite honestly, because he never made any bones about the fact why he was going up there. His sure. goal is to save his family. Sure. Fine. She has very different directives. She is going to save the human race, whether it's plan A or plan B, that is her directive. She is not going to go to a planet because she has an emotional tie to somebody. Yeah. Especially not when the other person on the other planet is the doctor that this is the whole reason this whole thing happened. It's just not believable. And it made me want to just like stomp on Christopher Nolan's toes. There's a lot of problems with that. I, uh, my biggest issue which is similar to yours is it calls into question the whole motivation behind this character, mm -hmm. which plays on gender stereotypes. Oh no, exactly. It's, it's like, what are you doing to this character? And we have seen none of this up until this point. No. Um, and, and that's really disappointing. The other thing that's so disappointing is we don't care. We don't care about your love. We no. haven't seen it. Well, we don't oh, know this other There's person. also another problem I have. She never would have, Again, because of that directive, let's backtrack to that first little problem that they had on the water planet. Mm -hmm. She would never have jeopardized their mission. She knows that this is like their mm. only chance. And since this plan planet is clearly not livable, she's not going to waste time doing what she did, which is to try to like get this recorder. Now, that said, yeah. the cool uh, robot going after her was an awesome visual and the robots were some of my favorite things in this whole movie but you know i at first i really did not like the robots and i think it's it might have been uh, the way nolan was shooting this is when you see them loading up the ship at first and they haven't um created the artificial uh gravity right um you don't really get a sense of how are these robots moving in space it right. doesn't make any sense um but i think we learn more about the robots over time but i really love the you know the humor uh, yes. what did they call it the humor percentage yes. or uh, the humor yeah. and the honesty and yeah all that yeah. stuff was good um and but, it's a it's a nice reference to 2001 it's also a nice way of dealing with the uncanny valley problems um i, I did like the robots yeah but in any case like so they, like i like the robots better than Anne hathaway's character me too um and then so so you've got that problem then you go down to the hoth planet <laughs> uh, it yeah. is it's hoth it's hoth with frozen clouds um, which by the way frozen clouds awesome the frozen clouds were cool the visuals were cool but you can clearly see that nothing is living on this planet and no. you know matt damon which is a pretty big i mean clearly they kept this secret um 
but that he was going to be in this because I didn't realize that he was. Props, props to them for yep. being able to keep that secret nicely However, done. you know. However. <laughs> however, um, there is, um, you don't need to make him evil or even like, you don't need to have that weird creepy battle between him and Matthew McConaughey. Um, they have lost so much time already. I think it would have been devastating enough to have them bring him out of the deep freeze and him basically say, hey, guys, you know what? I lied. Yeah. Because I wanted to be rescued and I was just that selfish. I don't think you need to make him crazy and maniacal. I don't. Um, uh, and even because, you know what? They're already out of, they're pretty much out of fuel. Um, they're they're going to have to do something desperate. You can get them to do the slingshot thing without having all this crazy nonsense. Um I just feel like that felt very over the top and strange to me. The problem, there's many problems with that scene. I never really understood what his motivations were. And uh, Matt Damon's character. And the other thing here, too, is, okay, Nolan um, is going for some type of commentary here on on psychology Mm -hmm. and empathy and, and these basic drives of exploration and leaving behind all that you know, including your loved ones, combined with um, your love for each other and empathy being things that that also keep us together and tie us to humanity. And Matt Damon's character has an interesting line about empathy only extends to your line of sight, which I think brings up these interesting ideas. But then it doesn't, again, that isn't consistent with the character. Mm-mm. And so if this is a character who has been so lonely, who has misconnection, wouldn't necessarily be acting by um, beating up on Matthew McConaughey, unless there's some precedent for that with this character, which I don't think there was. And this is, again, this is now the Matt Damon moment is um, – uh, the next strike for me in the transition between the space storyline yep. and the beyond the infinite storyline, because that's where this movie heads next, is into the, the black hole, um, and it, it it does not go gentle into that good night. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, do they have to use that like five times throughout the film? It's like we we. Get it, okay? We get what you're trying to do with that. We got it when we heard it on Doctor Who when David Tennant yeah. said it. We got it when Rodney Dangerfield said it. We 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 get we get this. Michael Caine, who also aged very much not at all in well, this film. Well, you know, in his defense, Michael Caine always just kind of looks the same no matter what age he is. So maybe that's what they were going with. Um, Michael Caine does yeah. does not yeah. age. He no, does. That, that was bad. That was bad content. I take that back. Um, but, you never heard that impression. Yeah, I never. You, were, you're, you, can, you can let that one go gentle into the night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. Um, um, some of our listeners might not, though. Um, and so the the thing with the Beyond the Infinite, um, when he is in this black hole, um, and interesting stuff happens, we realize they are actually us, humans who have evolved to five-dimensional beings who've, uh, who've mastered um, the dimension of time as well as the dimension of gravity, mm-hmm. um, the theoretical gra- dimension of gravity. Interesting stuff there, but um, I think EW, they, they have two great posts about all the plot holes here, and they, what they basically said is um, essentially – Interstellar's time travel is from the Terminator and its astrophysics yes. are from the fifth I element. I saw that too. <laughs> 
so he kind we kind of end up in this temporal paradox um Kyle Reese impregnating um and creating his father kind of character moment here where there is this time paradox and time loop um and I kind of expected a little bit more like that that to me felt like a very much a science fiction trope where this film seemed to be reaching for something more grand and and i um uh today i was uh one of my patients uh uh, uh, i think he's like 13 year old um he said he he was mentioned i asked him how the week went and he said oh i saw interstellar and i said what do you think about it and he like pointed his thumb upside down and said (laughs) hated it and i said oh what did you hate about it he's like the plot was so confusing I didn't get it. I didn't really get that whole bookshelf stuff and mm. what was going on there. And I think that overly complicated the film in a way it just didn't need to. Right. Um, Solaris and 2001 have these kind of moments, but they do it in a in a way in which it's simpler, it's more grand, but it leaves more questions. Right. Interstellar answered all these questions, but in a way ended up confusing the audience even more, I think. Well, right. And, you know, like... Uh, and even if you can accept that this is how he got the message to Murph, he puts it into the watch, right? Like she's going to transcribe, <laughs> you know how long that would take to transcribe that data? Oh, oh um, my goodness. And she's going to do it and that battery better last forever. I don't know. Like the whole, that whole thing was so strange to me. Um, it was strange. It visually looked very cool. It did visually um, look cool. But then I was like, oh man. And also like just from a human nature thing, Murph's burned her brother's farm. Her brother's really upset. He comes back to her. Do you really think if you think you know what you have, if you think you have the answer to all of this, are you going to let your angry brother near that watch? Oh, yeah. No, you're not. You're not going to do that. I was waiting for him to smash it. Um, yeah. But he didn't. Um, he was so uncharacteristically not mad. Right. It was he very was so strange. Chill about it that. was very strange. Um, so there's that. Um, and then. And then after all of this, when we go and we, you know, we've gone through the whole journey and and Matthew McConaughey is found and brought to the Saturn station, which is named after his daughter, which is very which, cool. Which is cool. And also he should have never survived being able to be expelled out of a <laughs> cool. singularity. Um, I guess even if even if humanity has survived to master five dimensions, I don't think we could survive we could evolve to the point where we have mastered controlling the gargantuan massive forces that await us inside the beyond the event horizon of a black hole. Right. Um, but, but all right, but he, he, he escaped Ollie. <laughs> um, but in any case, like, so he gets there, he knows his daughter is coming and he's got like, this whole family, this whole family that is his, that he's never met. And, you know, I, no matter what, he's going to spend more than a very brief amount of time with his daughter. Yeah. He's, yeah. this has been the whole reason for everything. And what? he And he has a very, like, he has a very, and it is a beautiful moment between them. But it, I just don't buy it. She's not going to let him go either. And he's going to want to see all of his descendants. There's no way he is not curious enough to see that. 
that didn't make any sense no. and it wasn't consistent with the character no. you're absolutely right here and he, also, no matter what his kid is telling him you know because her whole thing is like you if a parent should never watch his child die or whatever like fine he's not gonna let her go there's just no way he has he has sacrificed way too much. There's just no way he leaves her immediately like that. And certainly not to go to Anne Hathaway who's off somewhere raising like a quad, like a battalion of of genetically diverse babies somewhere. I, I like, also don't understand. Which is also a terrifying thought. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, um, I don't understand who is carrying those um those embryos to, um, to um, gestation. They don't. I, they don't explain that. But my guess is that they have to have some some kind of matrix technology. Maybe because they have to have some artificial womb or something. Because yeah. I just there's since she knows that Plan B is basically them going to the planet. She's sort of the guardian of all these things. I feel like she like I feel like there has to be an artificial. Um, womb or something womb like that because there's just no way because also like even if like let's just go into like the really upsetting <laughs> ideas here but even if she were intending to be the surrogate there's so many things that can go wrong with like a pregnancy and if you're trying to restart the human race you have to have like at least 100 to 200 to get started right yeah yeah but then that's also like, who the heck is raising all these kids? That's a lot of energy, you know. That's a lot of kids. That's to a raise. lot of kids to raise in one go with no help, and she's all alone on that planet. I don't know. So that's so, another piece that I'm just like, no, no. Anne Hathaway would go crazy taking care of the hundreds of babies on that planet. This this is the thing with this film is when you do start turning on your brain at these different points and really start reflecting and critically thinking about. What's being lined up here doesn't make as much sense. And I haven't felt this way about a Nolan film previously. As um, as confusing as some people found Inception to be, I thought it's it's interior or, or it's inner logic of how that world worked was, made was sense generally. Me. I mean, it had some holes, but it, you could accept it with a yeah. lot more. Um, you could accept it with less. I don't want to say less conflict, I guess. Than with you, less d- suspension of disbelief. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and similar, I felt a similar way about uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. I, I believe that this Batman exists in this world, and I loved Insomnia, and I love Memento, um, even though there's one critical psychological problem about Memento, but we can save that for another day. Uh, this film, uh, you know, we have spent, we, we've kind of cut apart all of our biggest flaws with it. And here's the most confusing thing, Conrad. Having mentioned all of these flaws with the film, I still think I really enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it too. It was a it was a journey, and I appreciate the effort that went into to making that and to um, it, to putting uh, putting together that display. Um, I, like I liked it. I thought it was absolutely an epic. Um, and I, you know, I like the idea that he did 
try to show relativity and there was this emotional impact. I just wish, it, you know what, it just felt like maybe somebody needed to help out with the editing a little bit and maybe with the script a little bit. That's all. Yeah, and I think it's a film that also, because of its grand scale and the, the, the variety of ideas inside, it'll probably benefit from repeated viewings and you know, I, I just remember oh, how see, confused. I feel, I feel like repeated viewings with this would make it worse because I feel like those plot holes are going to stand out a lot more. Like, I I mean, it bothered me like on the water planet when they could actually take off from the water planet, um, mm. given that its gravity was supposed to be a stronger. lot stronger yeah. than Earth's. Um, but it didn't bother me as, you know, it would bother me a lot more the second viewing, knowing that Once that was coming. Once you're thinking about it. That'll um, be an interesting experiment to see this film again, because the first time I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey, I was very confused, and repeated viewings have brought much more clarity to it. But 2001 doesn't necessarily have as many plot holes. It's not a plot-heavy film. Um, this film is different. <laughs> so, so uh, and it's it's interesting the genesis of it. I mean, the story idea really came from um, an astrophysicist, uh, and and it, it was originally a Steven Spielberg project. It's been it's gone through many changes, and maybe that's one of the problems we're seeing here. But despite all of that, I still recommend it. I think anyone who is a fan of um, the science fiction genre or of space epics or of space I think should see it. Yeah, I, of- I think people are going to I think people should see this and if you if you do like sci-fi and the space epics I think I think you're going to enjoy it um but you will be probably talking and arguing about it later. Just out of curiosity, I mean Bill was on our um uh, our Cosmos episode and is a self-described space geek. Um what was Bill's take on this? Um it was very similar to ours. Mm. Um, and he keeps bringing up different points that he's annoyed by <laughs> <laughs> uh, as the days go by. Um, so, um, but you know, um, I personally think that Matthew McConaughey, as I said before, was jealous of uh, Jodie Foster's uh, foray into into space. Um, and I think that this he was sort of like, you know what, I want to I want to do it next time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do Interstellar. <laughs> <laughs> Conrad, I think that's a great way to transition ourselves into the infinite crossover chamber. We used to look up at the stars, and now we're stuck here in our place in the dirt. That was, was that Bane doing the quote? Yeah. Nice. I, um, you can do Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I was about to, but then I love doing Bane so much, um, and I so rarely get the opportunity to. So with that, with my horribly confusing uh, intro, uh, what do we have in the crossover today, Conrad? Well, today in the crossover chamber, we are pitting Interstellar against Contact, and the question is, which film shows the exploration of the unknown um, more, what were we saying? More... In a more interesting way. Right. What's more interesting exploration? Okay, so we've talked a lot about Interstellar and its exploration. Um, where does contact, what is contact exploring here? 
Well, I mean, it explores a lot of different things. One, it's exploring the... Um, it is exploring... There, there are many different themes here. One is how would humans accept the information that there may be actual other intelligent beings out there? Um, and then it also shows the Jodie Foster character actually exploring um, space, supposedly, or possibly. Um, and Exploring what we don't know. What we don't she, know, because this is the one thing. Know. And that's the thing. This is the one thing that this film, I think, does very successfully, is that they, they're very good about not explaining <laughs> exactly what she's exploring and leaving <laughs> it out there. Like, this could be an absolute, like hallucination she's having you're not sure there's a lot of different things and and keys and they tie together pretty nicely here um and there's a lot of questions she is a a hard woman of science in this film um this science is her is her belief system um and she and the matthew mcconaughey character have a lot of debates about this because he is a man of faith um and so she is exploring what she thinks is humans first contact with extraterrestrials. Um, but also, um, in doing so she is using new technology in order to travel through space and possibly time. So there's that piece. And what I, what I think is so cool about contact and, and this is something you and I were talking about before the show is, um, it also explores the impact that this would have on society and there's that whole theme about how this becomes a political issue and who do we send into this unknown is it a person who does um have a faith in 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 some type of religion and in and these um these belief systems that exist on earth or do we send someone else and that becomes a big controversy in this film and uh jodie foster's character only really gets to go because <laughs> there's that billionaire floating in space who built a second one and he utters one of my favorite lines in the film which is um first rule of bureaucracy why build one when you can build two for twice the cost? <laughs> yeah, that is seriously one of the best parts of the entire film. Yeah. Um, and-, and there is this moment because you think at you, there's this whole buildup where you think all is lost, that all this knowledge that they have worked so hard to get to get to this point has been lost. And then he totally changes everything with this yeah. little speech and this reveal. Um and it's interesting because I also feel Interstellar deals with some of these same themes. And oddly enough, Matthew McConaughey is again playing a man of faith, even though he has a scientific bent. Um, he's an engineer. Oh, in in both films, he's right. actually did. right. Oh, interesting. Um, I didn't think about that. He, but it's weird because he's, he's always he's always believing in Plan A that it will. He happen. he is. However, it's interesting because he's the one who totally chastises. Um, and Hathaway, Hathaway's character, Dr. Brand, um, because he, he's like, you're, you're basing this on, on your gut. Um, meanwhile, he's entirely basing what he's doing on the fact that he wants to get back to his kids. So, um, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I think that, in terms of showing the exploration of space, the the visuals in Interstellar are clearly much better 
um, than contact. I think that they're more successful in showing, you know, the possible like the travel through space and all of that. Um, contact does very little of that. You don't get the big payoff until the end. Like it's yeah. not. I mean, it's not this huge space movie other than the fact that you're talking about space all the time yes yeah there's actually Uh, almost no space imagery except for when they look up into space and i think matthew mcconaughey asks jodie foster like you think there's life out there and jodie foster's like or one of them says it'd be awful waste of space if there isn't um that's about it in terms of space um but you know what it does it does do those images much better and um, I think we were talking about this before. Part of that is because we have so much more uh, realistic imagery of what space looks like. The thing about Interstellar, though, is I think it either it hits you over the head with its exploration or it just evokes it. So the evoking, like I, I do like how we see these different planets and what they might look like. We see a water planet. We see a planet where um, there are frozen clouds. Like that's a pretty bold idea that I think a lot of people will see and go, oh, wow, I never really thought about that. Um, but it doesn't really get into it too much more than that. Whereas on the other hand, it's exploring the impacts of relativity, but it hits it over your head so right. many times. Here's how relativity works. Here's it's happening again and again and again. Right. And I feel like contact actually, um, the, the interactions that she's having with this extraterrestrial life or the supposed interaction she's having with them, I think, it, you know, they don't try to go into too much about the science of it, which is actually somewhat, it's sort of like nobody knows exactly how it works. It just works, you know. Um, it's, it's in, in some ways that is actually helpful because you're not constantly like, you're, you are thinking about how it might work, but you just kind of accept the fact that this is alien technology. Yeah. And that's how it works. Um, and it's almost like magic. Almost. Um, but then, you know, when she does actually get to communicate with these beings, they try to do it in a way that humans would understand. Um, well, and that's, that's one of my favorite things about contact. I, I was disappointed in how that was done when I first saw that film and I was younger back then, but there was a sleeper effect where, um, when I thought about it and once I became a psychologist and I started kind of thinking about how first contact would actually work, um, I thought it was a genius solution because I, I, I've written about this before where I think Star Trek's first contact doesn't really work because some of the barriers we have are, uh, communication with an alien life form and finding a way to have empathy for an alien life form. Um, the only reason it really works in Star Trek is because the Vulcans look like humans. Right. Um, the first contact is handled so well in contact because these aliens are smart enough to create this sort of way station mm-hmm. where um, they are taking the forms of humanity and are finding a way to communicate in the same language that right. humans can. And it's just kind of like a holding point, like, all right, guys, chill out here, kind of get used to this idea because you're about to meet thousands of other life forms. Right. Um, and it's also, you know, the questions that she's asking they're like, well, we can't really totally explain that because we don't know how to impart that to you yet. You're not quite there in terms of your understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and even how he tells her, you know, this is, you got to take baby steps or tiny, small moves. 
Um, and it's, it's a really, it was just a very elegant way of portraying that. Um, and over, where, you know, where I think interstellar, as you said, just kind of like keeps hitting you over the head with a giant mallet. Or, or it doesn't like the, the impacts of society, um, given this, the state that, that the planet is in, um, it doesn't really go into too much detail about that. Or again, as we mentioned before, the propaganda and ideas right. that NASA faked these things, they're evoked without really going into detail, which can be fine if there's other aspects of the movie that can carry the weight of this idea of exploration. Right. Um, I, I think Conrad, given the given the the how much discussion goes into the exploration, given the impact it has on society, what we actually see um, when Jodie Foster does meet these other life forms, I, I, I gotta give it to contact here, even though. Um, there's less like physical exploration or Jodie Foster is really like traveling less of a distance. I still think contact wins this because it does raise a lot of interesting ideas. I I think I have to agree with you. I mean, I, there are definite parts of interstellar where I'm just like, Oh man, that was such a cool idea. But I feel like, like in terms of portraying this as a story and as a story that keeps, um, keeps you thinking but in an awe-inspiring way as opposed to in a oh that science doesn't work kind of a way uh-huh. um i feel like contact definitely is the winner here well that's that's that then um listeners let us know um who you think wins this crossover interstellar or contact and with that we are closing the doors to the infinite crossover chamber <laughs> Nice. And it was that was a bigger door. That was sort of a, a airlock door. Um, so Conrad, we got top five space epics. How the heck did you come up with your list? You know, I'm not gonna lie. I think my list is it's a little bit lame. Not lame because of the films, but just because I feel like we've covered this quite a bit. Um, so you're probably going to... Yeah, we really like space. We do. Um, so <laughs> I think that this is going to be a pretty quick one, and I think we should just probably go through and and list what we have. I, I think most people would probably be familiar with these, and I'm curious to hear what other people say in terms of what their lists are. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I picked films. I, I threw in a variety um some fun and some more more epic and part of it's just sort of the idea of exploration um so my number five was actually galaxy quest which i've mentioned before because i always have to throw in a fun one um and this is you can't get more fun than no and you know awesome this is a great film it's it's super fun and it was just such a great idea throwing these people in that have been portraying basically you know, Star Trek um, for years and then throwing them actually into space. So that I love that idea. And and honoring it and honoring mm-hmm. the franchise. I think we talked about it on our sci-fi comedies top five with yep. Ghostbusters, our Ghostbusters episode. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's a great film. Yep. Uh, my number four, what was your number five? 
My number five is Stargate, um, the the original uh-huh. film uh, that the TV show was based upon. And I think a lot of people overlook this film because the TV show had such a long run. Um, but this film came out, uh, I think it came out like a couple of weeks before Star Trek Generations. And Stargate, I think, is the better film. I think it's a fun exploration that plays on these ideas of uh, the pyramids and the Egyptian civilization and where some of their ideas came from. It's got a great score. It's got some... Well, great moments and, and beats. Yeah, and hey, Richard Dean Anderson got the, the television show out of it. So. Yeah, he did. So everyone wins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Stargate, love it. My number five. Um, my number four was um, Star Trek and 2009, although I think Star Trek just deserves its whole a whole number to itself, all the Star Trek <laughs> franchise. Um, because, you know, let's face it, they, they just win. Um, this is what a lot of people think of when they think about space exploration, and they do a lot of amazing things with it. So had to throw it in there, but I put in 2009 because that film just made me really, it brought back all those feelings of like first watching Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, nice, nice. Well, so. I, I fully support and endorse that pick. Um, I kept Star Trek off this list because I talk about Star Trek a lot. But What are you um, talking about? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure people haven't picked up on that. Uh, Live long and prosper. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, That's a good pick, Conrad. My number four was um, a film that I want more people to see because I still, to this day, feel like people have not seen this movie enough. Um, I am a constant proselytizer of this film. This is the film Moon. Oh, you have talked about this a lot. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I have seen, I know I have seen parts of this. I feel like I watch this on a plane. Like, I watch maybe like three quarters of this or something like that. And, and then, then it passed it, yeah. out or something. I, I don't think that happened, but, you know, like sometimes when the system doesn't work. Yeah. So I. Oh, and I, if it crashes and Yeah. You and then you just yeah, can't. That's... And I remember being just so annoyed. And, like, it was one of those things, like, you know, when you're that f- far into a movie. And it wasn't something you could easily get at the time. So, Conrad, that's um, why so I have to watch it. To, that's why you have to pull one of these out of your pocket and then just kind of go. Nice. The Sonic screwdriver, that's green. Nice. Um, but, you know, I. Well, I, I know what I, I know what I saw of Moon that I, I did like it. So I will I will definitely have to um, finish finish the last bit of it. I know. Please, please do that. And then let me know what you think, because I um, I think this is a film that is very much um, in tone, in style and in substance, um, much more like 2001 A Space Odyssey than um, than Interstellar is. It, it's focused on one singular character and follows that character in an interesting way and also an artificial life form. Um, and so that's great. Um, let me give you my number three. Cool, what um, is it? My number three is a film that is based on real life events, um, and it is Apollo thirteen. Ah, so that's my number one. Um, oh, oh, and actually, nice. I will, I will totally say my my top two. Number two is the right stuff. And number one oh. is Apollo 13. And part of why I put both of those on here. The right stuff is my number one. Oh, well, there, well, there we go. <laughs> um, part, of, part of why I put these in the two top slots is because I felt there was a lot of Interstellar um, that glosses over. And, and I get it 
I get that it's a sci-fi film and you're not going to be able to show certain things as they should be shown. However, I do think that a lot of the glossing over in terms of how you get a rocket launched and um, sort of like the ease of at which they apparently launched it from New York <laughs> um, <laughs> and and some of the things that they did in this film. Um, and I had similar issues with, with some of the stuff they did in Gravity as well. Um, I I feel like did not did not go far enough to show what it takes to get us out into space. And I feel like these two films clearly do um, and show how both amazing and exhilarating it is, but also how terrifying. Um, so and and Apollo 13 was just one of those films like I just couldn't stop watching. Sounds like uh, you felt like Interstellar. Did not go gently no. into that good night. Now uh, we only have to say it like six more times and, to catch, and up. catch up to, to <laughs> the number of times I say this within Interstellar. All right. Well, I, I agree with you. Um, I think Apollo 13 does a, does a really nice job of showing how fragile um, space travel really is and how dangerous it is. And also the ingenuity and courage that yeah. it takes to survive in space. Um, and a really well done film there. Also, just beautiful score in that one um, as well. It's a, it's a very majestic film. Um, and then my number one, um, which was your number two, The Right Stuff, tells that story of um, of early space flight and early NASA space flight and just how... Um, what it took to get to that point. Um, I, I think the right stuff is just, just a fantastic film, like period, um, uh, across the genres. So, so that takes care of your two, my one. Oh, Wait, I had your that. two. Yep. Both of our ones. I did what's not. What's your three? Yeah, my three was um, both Serenity and Firefly. I know people have heard me list these before, but um, it's a television show, clearly, um, and it's it's weird because I like I had this in there, but I also had Battlestar um, because I think both of them showed different aspects of. Um, it was hard for me to choose between those two. Mm-hmm. Um. And but I feel like like Serenity and Firefly, the things I like about it is that it shows how far people have gone out into the universe um, mm. and has some interesting ideas about what that would mean. Well, the um, whole idea of terraforming mm-hmm. uh, systems, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly the the series, I know, I know it's it's some people have issues with, with how they do some of these things. However, I think it was an interesting idea. So so I, I left it on there. Um, cool. But what was your number? My number two, two. that's the last one left. Uh, my number two is Solaris. Um, uh, you know, I thought that was in my honorable mention. Um, I like the book, um, and I and I feel like nothing could really compare with what my visuals in my head were. Uh, um, although I did like, you know, the, both the films have interesting ideas because there's the original film and then the one that was remade with the, George, the George Clooney. Clooney. Yeah. Well, it stars, uh, and I'm, I'm voting for the original here, even though I'm a big fan of uh, the Kloonster. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a film starring a psychologist uh, in outer space. Um, yeah, I'm going to vote for that one. Um, but I think, like 2001, a very interesting story that's focused on one character and that character's journey. And uh, um, I think it deserves to be on top five. And honestly, if if we were considering other films that you and I talk about a lot, 
um, Solaris might not have made the list for me, but I wanted to highlight it since um, I was trying to really um, focus on other things that we haven't spoken about too much. All right. Well, that's that's fair. But I am curious to hear what um, um, and also honorable mentions like, uh, you know, there's so many that we could have thrown on here. Honestly, like I felt like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy probably should have ended up on here. Um, even though it's Wait, newer. how did I not even think of Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, and it was also, I was thinking, if we're thinking about sort of more space opera-y type films, that probably belongs on there. Um, um, Titan AE, which is an animated. Oh, I love Titan yeah, AE. Yeah, which I thought was kind of a fun one. Um, but, you know, it, it, seriously, I just want to hear what other people have to say, and then maybe we'll hear about more space movies we should watch. So yeah. Um, so um, I've got just a couple on mine. Um, I put Gravity on here. Um, I had a lot of problems with the characters in Gar in Gravity, um, but uh, visually, it it is an achievement in uh, in three D and uh, in cinematography. Um, the other one I had on here is a film I don't think a lot of people have seen either, which is Europa Report. Mm. Um, which was kind of a more of an indie sci-fi horror film that was actually made with some support from NASA. Um, and it's got a great score by Bear McCrary, who a lot of people remember from Battlestar Galactica. It, it's, it's a sci-fi horror film, so you know what you're getting here. Um, and it's a crew that goes off to Europa and uh, horror ensues. So if you liked Alien, you'll probably like Europa Report. Right, and clearly Alien and all those fun things we didn't put on since we've talked about oh, them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I left, off Alien. I left off Alien, Star Trek, Star Wars, um, a lot of different stuff. Um, Avatar didn't make my list. No, um, it wouldn't have made my list. Though. It wouldn't have made my list. I didn't leave it off. You know, I didn't leave it off. It just didn't qualify. Um, but um, in Armageddon didn't leave <laughs> make my list here. total recall uh, didn't make your list oh yeah total recall <laughs> total recall film is awesomely bad yes um, um so we would love to hear from you dear listeners please send conrad and ali more space films to watch we are always in need of sustenance from the celestial beyond um please please let us know what are your top five space epics? Let us know about Contact versus Interstellar and, and just in general what you thought of Interstellar. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, I w- I, yeah, I want to see those things coming. And so they can just throw them up on Twitter. Um, At Nerd Hour is our Twitter account. Um, we've also got a website, Conrad. Um Wait, Super we fantastic. do. We do. We do. We are on the interwebs. Um, uh, superfantasticnerdhour.com or just nerdhour.com if you're lazy. And uh, we have an email address info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Um, that's where you can find us. Conrad, um, where can people find you on the internet this week? On the interwebs, I am Die Prince on Twitter. And uh, you can also hear me on my zombie type podcast uh reanimated and that's uh on twitter it's uh reanimated pcast and if you want to sort of check us out online it's reanimatedpodcast.com when you said zombie type podcast i was thinking oh is it a is it a podcast only about zombie typeface 
Yes, yes, it is. No, uh, well, when I say zombie <laughs> Most type, niche podcast. Um, ever. No, no, we we have been covering. Uh, we've been reviewing the strain recently. So that's some people Ooh. would say that's not. Uh, necessarily zombie but more vampire i would argue it's a little bit of a crossover so nice there you go and this this week week, where can people find you this week and pretty much every week i am at olimatu on twitter i am also the science fiction psychologist at brainknowsbetter.com and uh next week conrad we are talking about a very different film but a film that also celebrates science we'll be taking on big Hero 6. I am so excited to do this, and we have a special guest next week, too. We do. Um, of the uh, YouTube channel Without a License, Diana Chang will be joining us. Um, it's going to be her first time on the show, and she actually w- earned college credit working at Walt Disney World. Um, so I think she's a perfect person to be on for our very first Disney episode. I am looking forward to it. So until next time, live long and prosper. Indeed. Indeed.